Boom. Let's stop. You weren't here last time. Basically, what we did was whoever picked the articles, summarized them pretty shortly. Mm-hmm. And then we discuss anything that that makes you think of. And then we retire is the idea. Mm-hmm. Got it. Sounds fun. This week on Planet Internet with the Hacker Noon editors, we have David, Atsav, Amy, and myself, Natasha. Speaking of planets, let's start with some props to the 12,000 developers GitHub says contributed to Ingenuity's software via open source. This is referring, of course, to the maiden helicopter voyage in the Martian atmosphere. A pretty cool initiative from GitHub. They're going to put a Mars 2020 helicopter mission badge on the GitHub profile of every developer who contributed to the specific versions of any open source projects and libraries used by Ingenuity. What do you guys think of that? And what do you think of space as a concept, as a destination on your list or no? This is truly the beauty of open source, I feel. (laughs) I would like to go to space. Definitely would like to go to space. I don't know how I feel about that. Like, have you guys noticed that whenever, like, something is, like, related to government, space, it's always open source. Closed source, like, stays just in the offices. We had this big news come out of India where every government employee was asked to learn how to use Linux because nobody wanted to pay for Windows. And we can see something very similar with these guys. They have billions of dollars of budget, but they always want to go open source. What do you guys think? Is it because of the security or is it because people want to save that last time? I think it's Uh, definitely like saving the cost for sure. If they go open source and it's like community driven and more marketing, perhaps a better word of mouth, and then they don't have to pay the developers. What a win. Whoever open sources it naturally has a powerful market position. So the Mm -hmm. government uh, wants to not have space be privatized. So I think if the government comes in from an altruistic point of view and says these best thing about space should be open sourced, they're more likely to gain market share of the space industry in the future. So Mm -hmm. I I think it's all selfish and people are self-driven. And also, really, it's a badge on a profile. Don't get too crazy. (laughs) People will go nuts for those badges, though, I feel. It's like a pride badge of honor. Look at me, I helped develop the Mars country. Uh, how would you describe the design of the badge? Who wants to do that for our audio listeners? It looks like a drone on its way to Mars against a nice purple a space-looking sky. Have you seen what you're describing as a drone is the helicopter? <laughs> Have you guys seen the video of the helicopter flights? This is what I love about space travel the most, I think, and all of the recent news around it, is that every time you hear amazing footage of XYZ happening on space, and then you check it out. <laughs> this video for our listeners. First of all, good luck spotting aforementioned drone slash helicopter it looks like getting placed in the middle of the sahara desert exactly that there's nothing see this is why i don't really necessarily want to go to space it looks like there's nothing it looks like a mosquito is flying as you say in the dune of some kind of sub-saharan african (laughs) landscape but this is a big deal and i think it was 39 seconds absolutely no life there there's no plants there's no animals nothing it's just rock it's just a giant rock all right let me be the paranoid one 
Anyone think this is a deep fake? <laughs> Probably. That's why they had to save money and they had to go open source. They did not have the budget. Makes sense. <laughs> I was reading somewhere and it was saying that even landing these things on whether it is the moon or the surface of Mars, it needs to be at a very specific speed. It cannot go over. It cannot go under. They have to control the speed right from the like detachment from the actual whatever shuttle goes in and then what gets dropped over there. And they have lost so many rovers or whatever they call just because they were not able to get the speed. It was of a few like meters per second or something like that. And they lost those rovers. It's quite exciting when you like read about these things and say, okay, now we can do that. Exactly. And just how territorial everybody gets about it. There's a lot of great thinking and writing about space on Hackanoon, for example. A shout out to one of my favorite space writers, Monica Hernandez. And Anthony Watson recently wrote about the United States losing the space race. It's always, yeah, hyper-competitive. But speaking of races being raced and won or lost, what do we think of Facebook's pivot to audio? Casey Newton, independent journalist, quote-unquote launched a Discord server called Side Channel over the weekend with some fellow independent journalists and then just as casually interviewed Zuckerberg on it on Monday. And this is obviously part of some kind of PR Zuckerberg is doing. There's a lot of creator-first messaging around it. The summary of what Newton means when he talks about the Facebook's pivot to audio is soundbites, which is a new format for creative short-form audio, much like TikTok. Then also long-form audio, obviously trying to capitalize on podcasts. And then, of course, compete with Clubhouse, compete slash copycats, however you want to look at it. So how do you guys feel about Facebook's pivot to audio? I think it's so interesting. Obviously, millennials are extremely drawn to podcasting. I think that's the, they're they're the big age group that's interested in the audio format. And I think it'll be interesting to see the short-term audio format, like a TikTok version and how that interacts with Gen Z. Spoken like the Hacker Noon podcast host. Yeah. (laughs) A few things here stand out to me. Real validation for Clubhouse that Facebook has to partner up with Spotify to power this. So that's like really big validation for Clubhouse in terms of the big boys have to team up to try and uh, take out your market share. Relating to Hacker Noon, great to see that they're experimenting with an emoji as processing the tip as we look at using the money bag emoji for our writers. So cool to see that that behavior is happening, even if we didn't get there first. Obviously, we're not even in the same realm as uh, whatever the hell Mark Zuckerberg is doing on a Tuesday, much different than our Tuesdays. It's yeah, I think that Facebook just waits for someone else to do it well, and they do it. It's almost at this point, what was that German company, the rocket internet, that they just waited for every imitator, and then they rebuild it in Germany. I think like the older Facebook gets, the more some of their choices seem to be about that and not about their users. Yeah. Did anybody notice that it said Facebook's currency stars? What happened to Libra? What happened to Libra? MasterCard pulled out, Visa pulled out, everybody else started to pull out and I'm seeing like Facebook currency is now stars. Okay. How the hell? Did you hear of stars before this article? No. Anybody I help? just saw this. It's stars. Super like, casual, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> super cash. Uh, The other cool thing about this article that I think Casey actually does a good job of explaining 
is like when Facebook did pivot to video, they made positioned it publicly as this is something for the little guy. But really, they were commissioning all the big guys, CNN on down, to produce videos on their platform. And then once they had enough videos, they started cutting off distribution of the big guy. And here you see, again, Zuckerberg is saying this is all about the little guy, but what they're going to do is seed the marketplace heavy and they're going to bring in the influencers. They're going to bring in the power players and bring in these big audio rooms and compete with Clubhouse. And so they're, they're, they are doing this thing where like, how are they spending their money versus how they're talking about it? And there's a clear dichotomy happening that Casey can call him out because he, he can message Mark Zuckerberg and he knows him enough, but he also wants him to message again and come back to his Discord server. So he's not going to go... <laughs> as far as calling out exactly how this money behavior is different from what he's saying. But he walks the line if you go back and forth on this article that I appreciated it. Yeah. Facebook is always about making money and never about their users. Uh, Not really about small businesses either. So (laughs) can I share a random face thought with you guys? So I was in the park, all right, watching my daughter. And there's all these kids with masks. And I was thinking like how this changes their development. And here's obscure gut prediction is people that live during the pandemic from four to 10 are much more likely to get face tattoos later in life than the generation before them. Whoa. Yeah. What do you think? Outside the box? This is what Facebook made me think of. I hope not. I hope not either, but they're going to, I think there are some developmental things going on that may not be healthy for future tattoos with the volume of masks that everyone's wearing. But this is um, probably something I should put all of our listeners under NDA for. Let them know this is a (laughs) thought that I don't want distributed. And that's all. Interesting. I'd be more worried about what is it that these guys would be tattooing on their faces because art changes like every five or six years and we just have no idea what is it that they find cool. There is a very different definition of cool back in our days or at least my day because Amy is young. You have face tattoos. Travis Barker, who for those of you who are born around my sort of generation is the drummer for Blink-182. So anyway, Travis Barker posted a happy birthday Instagram to... Was it Chloe Courtney, a Kardashian of her sucking his thumb? He is heavily tattooed, which is the link. It's a crazy time to be alive. To bring it back to Zuckerberg, I'm with Amy on that. On I just don't trust it. I don't trust anything. No, because he seems like all he wants to do is affect his triple bottom line. He doesn't give a shit about what affects his users or small businesses or anything like that. Like. On Facebook, as a small business, you can't do anything unless you put money into your posts. And yet he would still rather let you own your audience than pay you. I believe one of the takeaways from this is that he's going to follow the Substack model of you can take your subscribers with you should you want to leave one day, which is like apparently a big draw card as opposed to monetization, which I think is interesting and maybe not that sustainable. Don't you love this right here? Stop on that line. The Substack margin is Facebook's opportunity. See my ethics disclosure about (laughs) Substack. Every time it's mentioned, he has to put this. Okay, great. They take 10% and they send your email like it's that's what they do (laughs) and zuckerberg's coming in this is where zuckerberg's clearly going closer to the credit card fee is much more reasonable and being more like two or three percent like substack taking 10 percent of your subscriber base great i can take my emails with with me but your tax is like higher than the state income tax you know it's or depending where you are sales tax you know is generally less than 10 percent so it's it's pretty high to process a transaction so 
I, I think Facebook doing this is going to make Substack drop their revenue share to stay competitive, which is a good thing for anyone who sends an email. That's interesting because the draw of in the marketing sense of these kinds of platforms is that like you the your audience lives on that platform and you can't take them anywhere else and you don't own them so whatever happens to facebook if it blows up if something happens if they change their policies you don't own any of your audience there not only do you not own it but once you leave they will feed your audience related content like it's like medium they just looked at our subscriber list and sent them all uh zero one stories about tech it's like, that's a lookalike or just send them similar stuff. It's once you have the platform, I can't export all my Twitter followers. What's it matter if 15,000 people follow me? If, if Twitter doesn't feel like sur- surfacing my tweet, I can't reach those people. Mm-hmm. So I, I think yeah. this whole movement of email contacts and creators valuing email contacts and platforms offering portability, it's all the right direction. It's just, it feels like the wrong people are doing it. I think two things that were super interesting for me to sum up on this article were that Zuckerberg clearly understands that keeping users in app to consume the content is paramount to the success of these platforms. And then this, the last kind of takeaway from the article is phrased as, um, and I'm quoting, Zuckerberg argues that some of the negative attitudes about Facebook are explained by the same forces propelling the success of creators, the shift in power from institutions to individuals, which I just, yeah. Is he arguing that it's like a Republican agenda that is away from the individual that is pushing for the regulation of big tech and appealing to like the left here? Or, or what? I'm not in America, I don't understand the, the <laughs> probably as well but it feels very political a statement he's talking about this regulation earlier asserts that audio moderation is going to be more difficult read like yeah. you're not going to be able to stop extremist stuff from happening on on podcasts that are hosted on facebook or in groups because he predicts for example the clubhouse version going to be very popular with groups so that's going to be almost impossible to moderate and then there's this kind of yeah low-level attack on on moderation and the forces and the negative attitudes yeah I also found that interesting I don't know what your thoughts are on that and yet they're willing to shut down Facebook in entire countries yeah Australia just banned it interesting okay so I want to just ask you guys really quick do you guys think that moderating audio is like all that hard like we have been able to moderate video as like YouTube does it but moderating audio shouldn't be hard. It's just like tracking those like bars or graphs or whatever. YouTube has a lot of dark rabbit holes. They get exactly. shut down, but th- yeah. there are like, you're going to be the host of those dark rabbit holes for some period of time. And then they try mm. and trim down that period of time to get the darkest things off the internet. So whenever you're at their scale, a dark rabbit hole may only last a day, but suddenly yeah. you're live streaming a killing, which has happened many times on Facebook that you don't see yep. in this discussion here. That's for sure. Yeah, I think it it's, it's hard to monitor everything, of course, but as content goes viral, as with the cases of certain killings that happened on Facebook Live or whatever, Facebook will be more in tuned and notified into what's going on with their audio programs, I guess. They'll have to monitor it for at least a while to make sure that it's working. And it's Facebook. At the end of the day, these guys are best positioned in terms of like money bags. Like they have the means to pull stuff off in the best way possible. Like they have the money for it, whether they can or not. 
they would answer that question. Okay, Mark Zuckerberg, please don't penalize any of our posts. We're sorry. We play, <laughs> we're, we're playing in the game as well. <laughs> Did I tell you about the one Hacker Noon thing that got monitored from Facebook? It was oh. our Hacker Noon, when we released a special edition of the Hacker Noon t-shirt, where $10 went to EFF for every t-shirt sold. It got marked as a sex item. And because this shirt was so sexy that you couldn't have it, you know, filtered or be promoted. And it was a plain black t-shirt with the Hacker Noon logo because of that. Then we popularized that and sold more t-shirts. Yeah. Great. Everybody wins in the end. All right. On to the next piece on uh, speaking of things, people want to regulate and moderate blockchain. And that's, uh, that's why I'm glad Atsav's here today with us, our resident experts on the subjects. This article from Hacker Noon is called Three Reasons Why Blockchain Won't Release the Kraken. And it is an interview with John Siebes of TrustTheVote.org. I really liked the setup for this article, so I'm just going to read that to you real quick. Echo chambers are arguably the worst thing to come out of our social media-centric lives since that auntie of yours who comments how grown up you now look on every photo that you post. While it's a lot of fun discussing big topics with people I wholeheartedly agree with, what's life? without a little heated debate. And thanks to Freetown's active role as a member of the Government Blockchain Association, I get to chew the metaphorical cud with those on both sides of the fence. So this interview with John Steves by Benjamin Bateman sets up as the fact that the author disagrees with the interviewee on a controversial statement. And that statement is such Any system which claims to be blockchain voting is neither blockchain nor voting. Thoughts? Let's go to our blockchain editor. I'm going to call a friend. Oh, definitely. Like anything, we are always ready with our pens and papers. And we are like, I'm so glad you asked. So I have that mentality right now. So it's a very like controversial claim because when you talk about blockchain voting and the claim over here is that it is neither blockchain nor is it voting. Because let's assume that there will always be certain wrong votes cast or bad ballots cast. Like people in the US might remember uh, about that butterfly ballot scandal, which is given as the reason why. I'm not sure whether I'm getting the names, but that's the reason why people say Al Gore lost or like some other president lost. So The rationale is that people are very likely to make mistakes. And on the blockchain, you are not allowed to make mistakes. So when you make a mistake, when you cast a wrong vote, or if the machine fumbles and registers a wrong vote, can you go back and change it? No, you cannot, because the uh, diagram that you see over here, it is called a Merkle root. How this works, and again, I'm very happy to explain that, the ones at the lower end, the ones that you say, hash transaction A and hash transaction B. You need both of them, like both of these are cryptographic proofs. You need both of these to get an answer which will give you the one just above it. And then just above it is the root or what you call the Merkle root. So it allows like storage of transactions in a very distributed manner, save space. It's very good from a database standpoint, but It doesn't answer that question. Once somebody goes in there, you cannot change it. And a big part of voting is like whenever you have cast your vote, as we see sometimes in Switzerland, I guess it is where you can recall your votes. 
So you can say that, okay, I do not like that person who I had voted and by a majority of sorts, you can, you can call that guy back. That is called direct democracy. On the blockchain, you cannot have anything like that. The same goes for the, the, the blockchain side of things. It takes time to process a vote. It won't get validated easily. There can be 51% attacks. How do you fight that? when there are billions of dollars like loading on stuff and people in Russia, allegedly, like trying to interfere with the elections in the US, which is at least in my opinion, one of the strongest democracies after my own India. So shout out to definitely we are the largest. So how that goes is like when there is so much meddling happen, happening, when there is so much money at stake, power at stake, how do you like get people to act in the right manner? And these questions, the blockchain cannot answer. It is just a black box and which will tell you what it has been told. It doesn't have something of an individual judgment of sorts. It just works by heuristics. It works by consensus protocols. It won't answer the questions that you want, whether something is right. Let's say that there is a Saddam Hussein, again, allegedly a bad person because I have heard both sides of the stories. Let's say that he is a bad person and he gets the most number of votes. Now, because his election is on the blockchain, can you invalidate it? And if you can, how do you do that? And if you do that, then you are saying that code is not law. When you say code is not law, now the blockchain does not even exist. I hope I, I made sense. If you voted well, for the wrong person, that's your fault. Like you can't go back and change it. That's yeah. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like when, like what happens at least in my country is that every time you press a button to vote, you get a paper trail of your, like of your vote as well. And sometimes like when it goes to the wrong person, you can always go back and say, Hey, so this happened and hopefully that can let you vote again. And you cannot do that on the blockchain. Once a vote is cast, it is cast. What is the voting process like? Is it literally just a click of the button? There is, I can give you the answer from India. So there used to be ballots over here, which I think US has in certain of its states. But now what we have is called an electronic voting machine. It is again, a black box machine, not connected to the internet, cannot be hacked or whatever. And uh, you just need to press a button on it your vote gets registered. And once your vote has been registered, you get a paper trail, which is called a VVPAT, a Verified Voter Paper Audit Trail. I got that right, yeah. So yeah, that's how that works. That's how we'll be teaching classes. You can sign up at hackernoon.com. Yeah, and do check out our blockchain stories at hackernoon.com. Part of the decentralized internet writing contest. So anyone that submits a story with decentralized internet as the tag, you opt in for some prizes from Freeton. So, yeah. so I would like to know what are your thoughts on this entire decentralization movement? Like personally, I believe that, that I am too far down the rabbit hole to have an objective opinion on it. But what do like you guys think is there hope for me are you guys gonna join me down the rabbit hole what rabbit hole are you down decentralization everything should be decentralized there cannot be anything that is centralized i'm all about that a friend of ours just bought a house with bitcoin just done everybody is losing their minds in the friendship circle because now suddenly it's like a very real tangible example 
of the fact that this can happen. And I think that Venmo, I believe it was, right, just added cryptocurrency. The Bitcoin price speculation side of it isn't really decentralization. Like your friend buying a house because they were smart enough to buy an asset that a thousand X is good for that. But that's not really decentralization. That's more of business acumen. And I guess it is like of sensing that this would become worth a lot more. I, I get really excited about it from, hey, we're like, how many public companies are we dealing with? We're looking at a Chrome browser on a Zoom call, talking about Venmo, who's owned by PayPal. Like the trees of, or they own by Braintree now, who knows? They pass these little companies around, trade yeah. them off. I, I would like it to be like, I think when it wins, like Clubhouse beating back to the early article, it's more descent, it's more an argument for decentralization. If Clubhouse can do Clubhouse and Facebook can't imitate it. And that and Clubhouse can just win that little section of the market. The more like the all these businesses can have little more sustainable little circles, the more they don't have to consolidate. So that where I get really excited about decentralization is where it means businesses don't have to consolidate to survive. Because if in the if you where you get into the problems of monopolies and oligarchies is like people reach a certain level of their business and they have to consolidate or a consolidation is the logical business choice. And that means competition is dying in my mind. So there is a purity of decentralization that also is in a way like very capitalistic of keep the competition healthy. And that, yeah. that is like where I get a little confused about what I believe because <laughs> these seem to be competing things, but they're really, sometimes they're not. But explain to me how it isn't decentralization to have the capital taken away from the banks in terms of financing a home on the individual level. Like oh, it totally is. is. And if that deal happened without even a bank mortgage and it was just a Bitcoin yeah. transfer from one owner to another, that's amazing. Like that, that is a great example. I just mean the increase of value of the Bitcoin itself was all speculative. And that's yeah. something that like, it, it's one of the mixed on it of the value of it to cryptocurrencies because it gets people attracted to look at the price of the currency. Like how often are we comparing the euro to the dollar? Not much, but we're consistently comparing Bitcoin to everything. And that's very good marketing, but it's not sustainable. The point of Bitcoin as a store of value is all dead if you don't know how much it's worth. So, so in the long term, you really need it to be steady so you know how much it's worth. So then you know how much money you have and how many goods you can buy. And you're not just seeing if it like has a good day. Let's go buy all of our groceries this week and let's wait for Bitcoin to wait for Bitcoin to go back up and we can buy food again. <laughs> yeah. You'd like to get to the point where it's steady so that people understand its value. So what metric are you using there to describe value? Yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. Like with the dollar itself, I don't think about it as much. Oh, the last time I took a plane, it felt cheaper. It felt more. And lately it's felt cheaper because we're still in this pandemic, whatever. (laughs) But price of groceries has gone up slightly, but it's hard to tell. When you're in the grocery store, you suddenly you come out the other side and it's more and you think you just bought more food or you look around, you bought the nice fish or you bought, you know, something today that's different. Uh, So it doesn't like we're... The dollar is so trusted, people don't think about its fluctuations. Like it's in within the internal use of the dollar within America. Some people, it, it, obviously when price goes up, it changes them. But most of the time, they're not thinking about it. A dollar is worth a dollar. That's like true psychological like domination and belief. Even though the dollar is fluctuating all the time, people don't think about it. And that's where like real trust is of, hey, I can just use the currency as a exchange and a transaction of value versus every, how many, count in your head the last 10 times people mentioned Bitcoin, did they mention the exchange rate? 
and did then look at your euro. Think about the last time someone said euro and you bought something around Amsterdam and did you think about the exchange rate? And the answer is probably no, but when it Bitcoin, they do. So it's, I think to mature, you have to not think about what the price of it is. And that means like the cryptocurrency has become an even more mainstream and it, it's, it could be I, like- And it's just another bit. currency. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That you wouldn't monitor the rate of the day. But is it not like really good that the price of something is like just a function of the supply and demand? Like, yes, the dollar is stable, but it is backed by those same big banks and the government that like pretty much, I guess, nobody likes. The same thing about the Forex markets. Yes, like we do not talk about the euros, but if you look at the governments, they only talk about the price of particular currencies and Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies. It's the little guy, at least according to me from my rabbit hole downstairs, is that it is the little guy showing it to the big guy. Hey, I don't need your dollars. I have my own thing. The price might be volatile, but at the point when I need to spend it, I know exactly what it's worth because it's on the blockchain. So that's amazing. People driven. Exactly. People driven versus bank driven. That makes sense. So there was this fire in China, the hash rate, which is like how much like computing power goes into solving those cryptographic puzzles that generate Bitcoins. So that went down. When that went down, the price of Bitcoin crashed by what? $10,000, I guess. It was like hitting 64 when it was there. When the fire started next day, 55K, like dollars. So that's the volatility like it's the real version of a butterfly flapping its wings somewhere and it's like leading to something else because there is nobody else to back that up. There are no market makers in the traditional sense as you have in the government. That's true. I'm all for decentralization because I want to take down big corp. Big corp equals less diversity in North America, in the world. And I am all for a more diverse and inclusive workplace and equal, more equal opportunity for everyone to become employed and to have a career. And I think that Big Corp really limits that in a lot of cases. So I am all for decentralization to take down the Facebooks of the world and promote the clubhouses or for to take down the match.com tinders and boost up the bumbles. I think we should start a new company called meritocracy and become the biggest Mm. corporation in the world. Okay. Sounds good. I'll follow you anyway, Dave. Sweet. All right. Last but certainly not least, Happy 420, everybody. With this yeah. news from TechCrunch that the Cannabis Banking Act has passed in the U.S. House. Essentially, what this means is that it is safe for banks to interact with cannabis operators in states, obviously, where the legislation makes allowances for cannabis operators. And I think this is really great news. The SAFE Act, it's called Secure and Fair Enforcement Banking Act providing safe harbor for financial institutions. And yeah, what do you guys think about that on this hallowed day of 420? I think that's super interesting because I remember, I don't know, maybe two years ago, three years ago when weed became legalized in Vancouver. And obviously Vancouver is very close to the U.S. border. So a lot of people were investing into more cannabis industry related stocks. And any and there was a point in time where anyone who tried to go down to the States who had invested heavily in cannabis 
was getting barred from the states and not being allowed entry. So this is a very like different turnaround from like where we were three years ago when people were like literally not being able to enter the states because they had crypto because they had cannabis in their portfolio. I've got to say I've been really surprised by uh, how I don't know what to call it, but Biden has been pretty aggressive on some radical and i'm saying that in inverted commas i feel like he's coming hot on a lot of these subjects and that's exciting and i hope to see that the same sort of carries through in terms of the issues that you have of the criminalization of these substances and just how disproportionate the representation is in prisons around but i think that this is a really interesting step forward and i guess the government is just realizing now that uh, it's more profitable to work with cannabis than against it I'm in a state where Colorado revenue was significantly benefited from legalizing marijuana and that it's a lot of money. So the taxation of that is a lot, but the really important part of this, so I uh, went to school in California and I saw the movement from medical and to legalization and early medical, the why this matters so much is they were getting robbed left and right because the, all the medical institutions, number one, they're dealing in cash. Number two, their good is high value on the black market. And then you have a one person, two person shop, and they are just sitting on this perfect thing to rob. So they would start to invest in all these like security things. So they had nowhere to put their cash and their good, yeah. as opposed to if it's like a fancy purse, it's going to get tracked. If it's a computer, it is a serial number. If it's marijuana, it's actually easier to move it yeah. <laughs> in the black market. So all these people are getting robbed. Like this definitely is going to stop a lot of crime around the cannabis industry by letting them work with banks. And by letting them work with banks, it means the government's going to get more of the money because they're going to be easier to tax. So I think it's a really probably something that's overdue. Once it's like the, they legalize it and then they don't know what to do with the cash and the regulation. And none of these private banks want to take on the risk of it's only legal in Colorado, but illegal elsewhere. So we're going to seize your money if you do business with them. So there's a lot here that I haven't gone into all the details of how many businesses it'll protect, but those businesses were, they were hit pretty hard in the beginning. Like it, it would be so weird. You're like, why is there like two security guards, four cameras and two metal doors in order to get into this tiny shop. It's because everyone's trying to rob them all the time. In uh, the U.S., are the windows also frosted? Uh, not anymore in Colorado, but I, I haven't been in California. Because there's, a, like there's legislation here that says that any dispensary that opens needs to have their windows covered so that no one can see inside. Which is yeah. wild, too, for security reasons, because yeah. if someone is going in there with guns, no one's going to see. And it's such a waste of, like, it's such a waste of resources. So many double standards over here. Like, the rationale for banning marijuana was, like, what? Because it's a gateway drug. So they say, let's ban it. Now look at alcohol. Like, one of the biggest reasons for drunken driving, drunken deaths, domestic abuse. And they're like, let's regulate that. Like, it should have been the other way around. Alcohol, yes. Like, I have my, like, own reasons. But the way I see it is that marijuana should have been the one that is regulated instead of the other way around. But I don't know, like, why they have to think about this when there are so many other things for these governments to think about. And they're like, okay, cannabis owners can access banking. <laughs> okay. Sick, sick. Happy 420, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> This How is nice not one. medical advice. These are just four average people reading the internet. 
very <laughs> average people. Okay, I am an average person. You are three extraordinary people. How about that? Uh, Excellent, but still not real advice. Not real medical advice. Three right, extraordinary people and one average person. That's me. See you on the internet. Read Hacker Noon. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>